From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, this is Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And before getting to the call with Matt Roberts, uh, when I introed him on the call, I did not provide an easy way uh, to sign up for his free newsletters. Uh, the two biggest ones are the, uh, the D1 and the D2 tickers. Uh, that's the Division One ticker for the Division One schools and the Division Two ticker for the Division Two schools. And to subscribe to them, uh, just go to d1ticker.com. That is the letter D, the numeral one, ticker, T-I-C-K-E-R.com. And uh, same thing for the, the D2 ticker. Just go to the letter D, numeral two, ticker.com. And uh, on to the call with Matt. Joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode is Matt Roberts. Uh, somewhere under the radar from the general sports media, maybe, uh, but very much on the radar of uh, athletic directors at uh, Division One and Division Two schools. Matt has built a burgeoning college sports news service, and we're going to talk about it. Matt, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thanks for having me, Robert. And burgeoning seems like a burgeoning word to use for what we've built, but we're we are we are quiet about it, but we're proud of it, and uh, I'm excited to chat with you today about everything under the sun, sports media. Yeah, so uh, but I want to start you off on a fun one. So I'm, uh, you know, I've been talking to you for a while, but uh, uh, I did some research for this podcast that I hadn't done before, and I, I came across some some video of you, and uh, and you kind of have maybe like a little bit of a George Clooney, Johnny Manziel thing going on. So in a world that's <laughs> so in a world that's pivoting to video, why haven't you pivoted to video yet? Oh, that's uh, George Clooney, Johnny Manziel thing going on. That's some good and some bad there. That's an interesting analysis. I, so I don't um, think I don't think as a as a as a far as a good looking man thing goes, I don't think Johnny Manziel is a negative. Do you think he's a negative? <laughs> uh, no, I, I certainly uh, the, the connotation with maybe some of Johnny's behavior in the past. <laughs> no, 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 no insinuations about your gambling, uh, womanizing lifestyle now. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. We won't go there. Uh, that that would that would get us off on the wrong foot. But the pivot to video thing, right? Um, I don't know if I'm good enough at the video thing. I, I like the non-video thing. Our products are built around efficiency for leaders in higher education, and video many times, uh, at least for what we do from a curation standpoint, right. maybe is not the most uh, efficient way to deliver the key news that happened the day before. But I'll keep that in mind, and, and maybe you can be my agent. One day. <laughs> Uh, I think you you can uh, you can do better than me for an agent. So um, you know, I, I don't know that I even know all of the brands under the uh, under the empire. So so if you could just and take as much time as you'd like, um, talk about how you started all of this out to begin with, and all of the properties that you are now uh, that are now under under the the business that you are running. You know, the story is, is really a pretty simple one. Um, I, I worked in college athletics at the University of Evansville, a small one AAA institution in Indiana. Many people know the Purple Aces probably from back in the day when their men's basketball team still wore jerseys with sleeves. They were really good in the 90s. Um, so I spent a handful of years at Evansville and then a handful of years at South Florida, uh, at, at the University of South Florida in Tampa, working with and for some of the same administrators, senior administrators, who I was lucky enough where I never got pigeonholed into one specific department. So I never just did marketing or, or just focused on compliance or ticket sales or sponsorships or facilities, et cetera, development, fundraising. And I, I really had a six-year experience to see the industry of college athletics at a high level working directly for 
Bill McGillis, who is a good friend and is now the athletic director at the University of San Diego, and Doug Woolard, who was the AD at the University of South Florida at the time. So I I had an opportunity to see the landscape at the C-suite level in a very broad fashion for a number of years. And that was beneficial to me in what became D1 Ticker. And the D1 Ticker founding story, again, was uh, is relatively simple. There were some products in the marketplace, say a decade ago in college athletics, that uh, either had the right delivery methodology, so a daily email with short, fact-packed clips uh, that delivered to you maybe once or twice a day, or the other end of the spectrum was um, and uh, I can't even recall the brand, but it was they, they would flood your inbox with 300 emails per day, the entire article. Oh. The right stuff was in that 300, but it was your job to go through the 300 and find what was right. I see. So, so incredibly inefficient. Um, and so the marriage of what we've done with D1 Ticker, of course, is take the delivery methodology of a daily email that comes out by, you know, we try to get it out by 7 a.m. Eastern time every day. It's usually between 7 and 7.30 with the right content uh, that's distilled in a really efficient manner. So the way I look at it and the way we look at it is an athletic director or senior leader around the industry should, if they have 15 to 20 minutes over coffee, over cereal, over breakfast on their way in in the morning, as they sit in their office before the day get hectic, they should be able to thumb through the email and understand the really important uh, business aspects and business developments that happened the day before across across college athletics. So uh, we, of course, are trying to wrap our head head and hands daily around everything that's out there. And again, given the the lucky perspective that I had for a number of years, we take that and narrow it down into here's the stuff that leadership really needs to know about because it's the most important developments and everything else is, you know, everything else is kind of noise and there's plenty of noise out there. And so D1 ticker is almost five years old now, Robert. We've certainly dovetailed into some other products. D2 ticker, as you mentioned, we have a D3 ticker that's almost nine nine months old. We're about to launch an AI ticker. Congrats. Um, you got the uh, yeah, the one question podcast. What else? We have, That's right. We have the one question podcast, which, which is the daily piece of, of D1 ticker where we talk to leadership and, and media. And, 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 and by the way, uh, I think it was yesterday's, uh, the, the one with uh, Glenn Wong, I think it was from uh, Arizona or Arizona State University, the lawyer. State. Yeah, he yeah. was really good. Yeah. I, I highly recommend. And that's one question, just the numeral one question and uh that's right and uh and uh, th- it's a daily podcast that you know i think i was the longest one ever uh because you asked me way <laughs> more than one question that's not my fault but uh but you, you, but 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 they're usually like they're usually like five to ten minutes they're they're pretty breezy to to, to work through and uh and i highly recommend they're, them. they're really yeah and they're really supposed to be five to ten minutes and, and it's funny um i've had this discussion debate with with turnkey and turnkey search uh, is the sponsor of one question. And, and the idea when we started it two plus years ago was truly to ask one question. Right. But I, I have found over two years, like I can't just get on the phone and ask my <laughs> one question because they answered it. And I go, well, wait a second. I'm interested in all these follow-up questions. Yeah. So, yeah. You're, like, yeah, you're, you're a very curious guy. I don't think, uh, I don't think you, you, uh, you sell that enough. I mean, one of the reasons why I think you're so good at what you do and, and, and that, uh, and I'm kind of like, I'm anti-curator generally because I think most people talk about it. They don't really do it. Uh, you actually are very good at, uh, at curating. And I, and I think, well, I appreciate and it. I think that, but I think you are, but I think the, you know, the basis for it is you're actually just really very, very curious about the, uh, the, the world that you're in. I am. And, 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 um, I am 
fascinated. And so interestingly, I spent a, one single year between my stops at Evansville and South Florida at uh, the Fox and my hey, hey Matt, Matt here. can you hang on a second? Yeah. I have a, this hadn't happened sure. before, but uh, I have a, a, a cat who's mad at me about uh, changing the foods <laughs> and uh, he's, he's causing sure, sure. some commotion. Let me, let me take care of that. Hang on, Matt. I'm sorry about that. No problem. Uh, no worries. Uh, okay, so uh, I interrupted you. You were you were talking about uh, your your sort of uh, in between gigs after uh, Evansville, I think. That's right. So um, interestingly, and in, in the way I became familiar with with you and what you were doing in the sports media world is, I spent a year between my stops at Evansville and South Florida selling advertising Ooh. for the Fox uh, My TV affiliate oh, wow. here in Louisville, which is home. So I, I got this one year taste of understanding ratings points and, and gross ratings points and how agencies buy and, and certainly the power of sports and, and live programming. And at the time, so this would have been 2008. I mean, if you think back to 2008 from a TV landscape standpoint, this could, that could have been like the peak of American Idol. Yep. And American Idol was doing like you know, 14s and 17s. Oh uh, yeah, uh, they were twice per. Yeah, they were still twice per week. Yeah, I mean, it was a killer. Yeah, they were doing over like 30 million still back then. I think for like the premieres and the finales, so they, it was huge. Yep. So that that's you talk about curiosity, and I am continuously curious about the sports industry from a business standpoint in general. Certainly, college athletics as a focus. But as I think we'll probably talk about the, the media and TV industry and, and where where that is going, the money involved with it how ratings points impact advertisers and sometimes don't impact advertisers, um, I think is a really crucial storyline for the next decade plus yep. for college athletics. And that's, and that's how I got to know who you are and the work you were doing, um, which is still terrific stuff. And, and certainly when you were doing the listings, we all kind of chimed in or, or, or read that daily because we wanted to know how, uh, how, how everything was shaking out in the sports world. So, so to finish to finish what other properties we have. So we talked about one question. We have um, Athletic Director U, which is a thought leadership platform that we've started in the last six months, which is designed to uh, create a online home for athletic directors, senior leaders, executives around the industry who are talking about leadership and their craft in a place where folks can go 24-7, 365 to hear, learn, and listen to those types of leaders. And then finally, Total Campus Report, which is the uh, academic or campus side version of D1 Ticker, which we think has a lot of upside. So I've got this great little staff that's spread around the U.S. who uh, know what they're doing, have previous experience in either higher ed or college athletics, and they do their thing, and I don't have to do a bunch to manage them. Uh, it's the beauty of, of uh, modern technology and, and the digitization of, of print media that allows us to do this. So I don't think I would call it an empire or anything close to that, but, <laughs> but we, we like it, uh, and we're glad to be providing value, and uh, we still have some growth potential. So, um, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, just in, in general round numbers, like what's your penetration uh, with D1 and D2 and uh, D3 and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll stick to D1 sure. and D2 because the D3 is new. Like what's your penetration with uh, D1 and D2 athletic directors in terms of getting the newsletters? Oh, from an athletic director standpoint, we have over 95% wow. of D1 athletic directors who subscribe to the service and read, uh, which which the metric, of course, we uh, note as reading is opening the email sure. uh, at about a 70% plus clip per day, which 
that's really the backbone of what we can sell against. Um, I can I can attest, and I'm, I'm sure if there's any administrators who end up listening to this podcast can attest, it's hard to get an AD to open your own daggone emails when you're on their staff yep. uh, 70% of the time. So we're really proud of that. On the D2 level, we don't quite have 95%. We're probably more, more probably 82 or 83%, but another strong like 65% plus uh, open rate for those folks. And that's a three times per week product, not every day, but three yeah. times per week. So Overall, the numbers, Robert, are around, we're, we're closing in on 15,000 total subscribers for D1. Much smaller universe in D2. We only have a little over 2,000 uh, or 2,200 in D2, but a much smaller universe of, of leaders, number one, but also interest level for D2 college athletics. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, I probably heard more as a result of you uh, from the D2 school ADs and assistant ADs. Uh, I, and I, I guess it makes sense, right? They're, 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 they're the up and comers and they're hungrier and scrappier. And so they're, uh, they're trying to satisfy their curiosity more and, uh, and, uh, and get the landscape figured out, uh, which I, which I think is uh, one of the things that, that, uh, you guys are really good at because while it's fun for, uh, for some of us to, you know, swoop in every now and then with the, uh, with the once a quarter sports, right. Bubble take, um, you, you got yeah. an audience that's dealing with that stuff on a, you know, on a day-to-day, everyday basis. And so I'm just wondering, like, from your point of view, where, where do you, Matt Roberts, stand on the sports rights bubble? Well, I would, I would start my response with saying um, I'm not convinced that we have enough uh, savvy data to educate athletic directors, commissioners, maybe not commissioners, because they're, they're far more they are, excuse me, they are, they are far more in this conversation on a daily or weekly basis than probably athletic directors. Sure. We're not probably, they're definitely sure. deeper into it. Um, so look, I, I pride myself in being like an expert generalist. Uh, so not an expert on any one thing, but when it comes to where the media landscape is going and, and specifically premier rights packages for, let, let's just call it the power five, conferences to start so the ACC SEC Big 12 Big 10 and Pac-12 I think you and I are on the on pretty much the same page here which is I do believe that some of the digital players uh, Facebook Amazon uh, YouTube Google Alphabet whatever however we want to label that crew Twitter maybe some others will have success gaining penetration with some secondary packages but for reasons that include uh, overall penetration um Technology, the ability of technology, which certainly concurrent uh, streams and the technology to push through millions, if not tens of millions of concurrent streams at one time is still a challenge. Yeah. And that's one topic I don't think is, is talked about enough yeah. around the industry. Um, I, I would expect all of the major rights for the Power Five conferences to stay on terrestrial um, and, or, and or ESPN, of course, the traditional outlets for the next round of negotiation, which, you know, it's not too far off. I mean, some of these deals are up in 22, 23, 24, 25 in that, in that window. Yep. So by, you know, I would guess, again, I'm not an expert here, but, but as a generalist, I would guess we're going to really start hearing some commotion from the John uh, O'Rans of the world, you know, in, in 2019, 2020 about where this stuff could be going in terms of, in terms of which outlets, uh, have an advantage over others. Uh, that's an interesting question. And we all read plenty about and speculate plenty about ESPN's dropping uh, subscriber penetration and how that uh, impacts their, their bottom line. But I, I just, 
Um, I cannot see a time again in the near future where ESPN is not still an absolute power player when it comes to major rights packages for the power five, for the power five leagues. And, and, and listen, the other side of this equation that I also don't think gets enough play. And you and I have discussed this a little bit off air. Excuse me. I don't, I don't, I don't think enough folks understand the impact of advertisers in the ecosystem of uh, live sports rights. Yep. And while we point to ESPN and say, well, two thirds of their uh, media networks revenues come from uh, subscriber fees, yep. the monthly carriage fee, there's still a whole big bag of money there that comes yeah, from advertisers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty-three percent of you know of billions, billions and billions of dollars is is still good money. It's a lot of money, right? And and I am a, a Ben Thompson Stratechery disciple, and I I totally buy Ben's. And if if anybody listening has not checked into to Ben Thompson and Stratechery, you need to do it yesterday. Yep. Um, and I, I certainly push Ben a lot in D1 Ticker because I think he's a very bright dude, especially when it comes to media topics. Yeah. By, by, um, by the way, I reached out to him and I didn't hear back. So he, so either, uh, e- either my pitch email sucked, which is probably the case, uh, <laughs> or, or he just never saw it as possible, you know, and his, he's got spam problems with Stratechery, but, uh, you know, could, could have right. been that, that type of thing. I, I don't read much into it, but uh, someday I, 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 I I definitely hope to have him on the yeah, podcast, you, and I agree with you 100% that uh, although he, he mostly focuses on the uh, on the tech world, uh, he is one of the brightest minds out there today. Yeah, you, you'll get him eventually. He's a fascinating uh, – not that I've ever talked to him directly, but certainly read plenty of his stuff. So to, so to end that thought, the, the context of why the advertisers are so important and the challenges that they are currently faced with is for many of the biggest spenders out there, um, CPG brands, auto brands, um, beverage brands, telecom. Sure, I'm, I'm missing a few of the biggest categories. Uh, credit cards, insurance, car insurance. You know, their yeah. insurance, yeah, absolutely insurance. Their business model, by and large, are is built on national reach and scale in advertising. Yep. Right. So, if if you're Kellogg's and you have a cereal. The most efficient way, still today, with all all the money "quote unquote" flooding to di- to digital, the most efficient way to still reach the most the greatest number of people is on TV, yep. with TV advertising. And so, uh, as we as it pertains to the NFL ratings debate right now, yes, NFL ratings are down, and, and I don't even want to begin to speculate on why that is because there's a myriad of reasons. But guess what? Advertising revenue is up. Yep. Why? Where else are these massive brands going to reach? the audience levels that they can through TV advertising and live sports being the, the premium uh, programming uh, programming type right now. So I think that's lost a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I want to, I want to actually chime in and, and give you, give you another attaboy here. So th- this is one of the reasons why I think you're, you're actually very good at, at what you do. Like you, you pick up on some really inside baseball stuff, right? Which, you know, for the, for the most part, the notion that advertising ratings are up, although rating, excuse me, advertising revenue is up, although ratings are down. Uh, that's kind of inside baseball stuff that people in the TV media know. But, you know, outside of that, people people just assume if ratings are down, ad revenue is down. Um, and so you're, ra- you're way ahead of the curve 
you know, bringing that info to, to, to your readers. And, uh, you know, I, I, we, we talked, I think in August about this, uh, and, and I saw that headline like in Google news four times yesterday and NFL revenues up despite, uh, you know, ad revenue up despite lower ratings. And, uh, that's really, uh, you know, a three or four month old story already. Uh, and, uh, and, and you had it three or four months ago. So, so what's also interesting here, Robert is, you know, the, the world of college athletics or the ecosystem of college athletics, we're only talking about 65 schools who make up the power five. Yep. We're talking about 200, 200 and what would be the math? 85 who are not power five schools, group of five, FCS, one triple A. Um, I do expect in the next handful of years, we will see potentially some group of five leagues, uh, certainly some FCS and one triple A leagues. And we're, we're already seeing it a little bit. Uh, take virtually all of their premier inventory and go direct to market with it through a, a myriad of different vehicles yep. that can help them do that and not rely upon, uh, frankly, the ESPNs of the world or the Foxes of the world to to help them from a revenue standpoint. I mean, Conference USA is a perfect example. Conference USA has a new media deal coming up uh, that we could hear about in the next couple of months, and it would not shock me if they go uh, off the reservation, if you will, from a t- traditional standpoint because there's nothing – there's truly not much to lose because they're not getting as much from the ESPNs of the world anyway. So they can be really uh, advanced in terms of how they think about monetizing their rights through, through digital. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is, uh, and it might've been Ben Thompson recently who, who talked about, about this or someone else, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, something is coming, which will be the, 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 the great bundling of the unbundled stuff, right? Which is so, so what's going to happen is, you know, right now, e- even if it's hard to find on TV, at least it's on TV um, or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhere. And uh, there are, so, you know, as these things start showing up, they're, they're on Facebook Live or they're on Twitter or they're this place or that place. The good news is that they're available. Uh, the bad news is that it's hard for people to find them. And I, I so that's just part of it. I don't think has been figured out yet. Right. So I think they can figure out how to go direct to market. But I don't believe that they're going to have a very easy time uh, of, of people finding them once they do in the in the current landscape. Which makes ESPN's coming OTT product that much more fascinating, right? Yep. Because if, if if ESPN's OTT product can marry the two things we're talking about, it could be a major win for those 295 schools, 285 schools uh, below the Power Five and their leagues if they cho- choose to go that direction. Because that brand is ubiquitous. If the navigation of that app is uh, is clean, because you know one thing we talk about with cable, like. Right, right off the top of your head, Robert, do you know what channel NBC Sports Network is on your cable outlet provider? What channel exactly? Uh, 16 something. No, I do not. I know some foxes. And if you know, and if 1602 you know is uh, ESPN and uh, 1652 is FS1. So I, I have those. I know NFL Network, NBC, and I know, uh, I know NBC uh, Sports Bay Area 1770, but I, I apologize, NBC Sports Network. I forgot. As an example, right, so the, even the, the current uh, user interface of cable is difficult, right, because you turn on your cable box, and uh, it should be intuitive to know to tell you, hey, here are the channels you usually watch, here are the yep. games on those channels right now, and I'm sure you can go through a process yep. to set that yep, up. there is. But it should learn that, yep. and, and so you're, you're right. Um, in terms of finding the content, that's a challenge beyond simply figuring out how to monetize your rights. And it's part and parcel of promoting your brands in your league uh, or conference. And maybe, maybe the ESPN OTT play will marry all these things. We'll see. 
Yeah. So, uh, so going off the board a little bit, but it's a, you know, as far as ratings, but I, I have to imagine it's like a huge deal for you and how you think about, uh, the information you're putting together. Like how big is the story of, Hey, you know what? These athletes, these athletes aren't getting paid and, uh, and it's a problem. How, how, you know, you've been doing what you've been doing for five years, like in the five years you've been doing it, what's been like the progression of, of this as far as, oomph? Um, right. So it's certainly becoming a far more mainstream topic. Uh, and just today I included a conversation between Joe Nocera, um, Andy Swartz, who's a, a very a notable economist who works at OSKR out of San Francisco, Lynn Elmore. I can't, I can't remember Lynn's counterpart. And they were debating the pay, the pay for play um, topic. And it was, it was interesting because we've heard both sides of the story ad nauseum, but they were able to really debate back and forth and it wasn't just prepared responses, et cetera. What I find most interesting about this topic is as a former student athlete myself um, at a small division one institution, UNC Asheville down in the mountains of North Carolina, I, I truly had like the quintessential student athlete experience. Um, the person I was when I left UNC Asheville was different than the person I was when I walked in. And so much of that is a tribute to the administrators and coaches and teammates I was around. So it, it's on a personal level, it's hard for me to care about that debate, to be quite frank, because there's 98 to 99% of overall student athletes were who I was. And we were never going to play pro. Anyways. Yeah, but that but, but that yeah, one to two percent can't go directly to the NFL. So that's a whole you're different exactly animal. Right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And so in terms of in terms of the oomph, yeah, it's it's in your face and it's big. And I think it's one of you know two or three topics. The men, the latest men's basketball, Department of Justice, FBI yep. stuff being another, and certainly and certainly all the um, all the, the court cases that are out there right now. I do feel like the NCAA is at its most tenuous point in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, so I don't have a ton of perspective, but the pay for play debate is real additional compensation and figuring out how to find the right balance there is real. Uh, and it could be a topic that um, we see come to come to a head in the next couple of years. So it's, it's certainly grown to answer your question directly. It's grown. And I, I think it will continue to until uh, a solution can be found. Now, I will say I, I don't, I cannot point to any one journalist or thought leadership uh, individual, whether it's an educator or not, around the nation who I've read even remotely has the right solution to how you pay some and not yep. pay the rest. And yeah, it's a tough one. I think I, Andy, it's definitely a tough yeah, one. Yeah, and, and and I think Andy Schwartz is is uh, as as broad as they come on this topic and and um, I'm not smart enough to understand the economic theory behind it. Uh, I think he, clearly he explains he's explained it to me a number of times and, and it's lost on me. But it's the, the message to the public is different too beyond simply how the economics of it would work and and that's a maybe even bigger challenge than how the money would work out. Yeah. Yeah, so um we didn't we didn't talk about sort of the Adidas uh Patino FBI stuff and uh you know I, that's the, the the Patino aspect specifically I, I have been covered enough but uh, but I'm interested to to uh to know what you think the fallout of this is going to be. Well, of course, I grew up here in Louisville. Um, and I've been back in Louisville now for, for seven years. So I went to high school 
across the street from the university ah. in the late nineties when none of my peers would have gone to UofL for anything, um, not to play <laughs> sports, not for an education, because it was a very concrete uh, urban campus. And so this would have been, you know, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Yeah. And so, so to see it today and uh, what, former president Ramsey and, and Tom Jurich, the former athletic director and, and others in that leadership cohort were able to have been able to do, or were able to do over the last 20 years. It is nothing short of completely transformational. Now that, that said, um, I get asked from time to time by folks around college athletics, like, you know, what's going on at Louisville? There's this, this, this huge question mark. And the thing you have to understand about, about this city is, you know, it's a top 50 marketplace, like barely. I think it's like the 49th largest media market in the U.S. There is zero, zero pro sports influence here. Zero. Yeah. So Not even like the, the, the Reds a little bit? Not even that? I mean, okay, mm-hmm. I'll give you like a couple tenths of a percent, but basically <laughs> okay. zero. Nothing, okay. Basically zero. Nothing. So 363 days of the year, so the other two days being the Oaks, which is the day before Derby, and the Kentucky Derby are the only outstanding days that don't get Kentucky athletics and Louisville athletics covered to the nth degree every single day. So um, it's, it's the New York City media marketplace for two college athletics brands. I mean, there's truly maybe no other marketplace in the U.S. like this. Maybe the Triangle. Uh, maybe the Triangle where you have you know Carolina and NC State Duke. and Duke. You have a little bit of pro. I mean, you have you have an NHL squad there, so so maybe the triangle is somewhat similar. So I have um, I have found the developments here in the last thirty days uh, since Tom Jurich and Rick Pitino were first, of course, placed on leave to be some of the most um, uh, shocking of of my personal perspective of college athletics I, I never thought i'd see a day where tom jurich would not be the athletic director at, right. at Louisville. and uh, certainly there's plenty of coverage about what he did or did not do uh, throughout his 20 years but he was uh, and potentially still is but but was definitely one of truly the most powerful people if not the most powerful person in this city because of how he navigated relationships with the power the other power players um so I've had I've kind, of, I've kind of had an interesting perspective on this story. The Patino deal, I have no opinion on. Uh, unfortunately, the NCAA rules are what they are at this point. And when you oversee a program that's been involved with with the developments that he's unfortunately overseen, yeah. it's pretty cut and dry what has to happen. Jurich is a whole different, fascinating matter. Yeah. <clears throat> so we'll see how it continues to play out. They have an interim or an acting AD right now, currently, who's a local well-accomplished businessman who, who, who may be staying there longer than just being an active and an acting AD. Um, I'd say this singular story, Robert, is um, the biggest for me personally since we started D1 Thicker simply because it's home and simply because I understand the context of what's happened over the last 20 years, both good and bad, right. uh, with the brand. Um, so the story is yet to be the story is yet to be complete, but I do truly hope that the likes of Eric Crawford at WDRB, who's a fantastic yeah, he's great. journalist in our marketplace, he's the best. He's, um, at, he's, I, I think he's like at I think he's at Eric E R I C Crawford on Twitter. He's he's a great follow. Outstanding. He's outstanding. Um, and 
I've, I've pinged him a number of times, and I truly hope he's planning to write a book about the last 20 years because there's some amazing character arcs oh, for sure. that have taken place. And uh, again, still still some more of the story to be written. Yeah, you know, I, I hadn't, uh, and this is on me, I hadn't really considered uh, just how close to home uh, that one hits for you. And I, yeah. And, and, uh, and I wasn't really thinking about sort of the, uh, the previous stuff that had happened under the, uh, Patino regime. I am though particularly interested in, in your take on, uh, whether that's the tip of the iceberg as far as the, uh, uh, I'll just put it in scare quotes, uh, sneaker business sleaziness. Hmm. Uh, I, I hope it's, I, I hope that's it. Uh, but, I think the reality of the situation is the intensity of competition at that level of college basketball. Um, it would seem likely probably led others to conduct business in, in, in unethical manners, whether that's yeah. the exact, um, the, the exact way that we've allegedly seen it happen at, at Louisville and, and Arizona and Oklahoma state uh, and potentially other places, but um, competition, Competition in college athletics at the highest levels is uh, is real and significant, and in any business, any industry, any line of business, we know what that can lead to. Yep the uh, the stakes are high. So uh, yeah, that that's not too fun. So uh, that stuff. So what's the uh, what's the story? And it could be big or small. What's the thing that you're watching that uh, is is maybe a little off the radar, but it's the most fun thing that you think is out there right now. Well, it might be off the radar for the general sports enthusiast or even the general college sports fan. Uh, it's certainly not off the radar for those of us inside college athletics. And that's the rate of turnover for athletic directors oh, for around sure. the nation. Yep, yep. And good. It's a good time I to be turnkey, not... right? Yeah, yeah I, I suppose, right. Um, I think there's 19 open as, we, as we're talking today. Um, a couple just got filled. Bill Moose got hired at Nebraska from Washington State, which, of course, opened Washington State. Carla Williams went from the number two at, at Georgia to Virginia, so did not create a domino there. But, um, you know, again, going back to the intense competition of college athletics, I, I think the job of an athletic director these days is incredibly difficult because you have so many different constituencies to satisfy. And a number of ADs have said this before, so I, I, won't, I won't say that anybody coined it, but, you know, being an AD, there's, there's, there's no more – uh, emotional equity uh, or, or equity period with your fan base than the day you're hired. And inevitably decisions you make throughout your tenure decrease that equity. So your, your equity bank, there's no, there's never deposits after you're hired. There's just, you know, debits. Um, and so the, to the, to the average tenure link, you, you talked about Glenn Wong earlier, he would have the exact, but the average tenure link for an athletic director continues to decrease. And it's a direct byproduct of the pressure that comes with the job. And, and I'll be honest, I've said to some of my uh, kind of circle of, of friends in the industry, like, why do you want to be an AD? <laughs> like, like, seriously, tell me why. And, and look, and this is coming from somebody who I understand firsthand how important it is to uh, create a student athlete experience that uh, that drives home better people leaving an institution, better better young people leaving an institution. I totally get that. Uh, the pressures are significant, uh, and the pay at, at, at certain degrees is pretty significant too. But you have to be a politician. Yeah, you have to be a fundraiser and a politician, and you have to be adept at hiring the right coaches. And that is a very difficult trio of skills and talents to perfect and consistently get right. The hiring of coaches 
we talk about Tom Jurich, but man, Tom Jurich did not miss on many. He missed on Craig, uh, Steve Cragthorpe in football a couple of years ago. Beyond that, I would have trouble pointing to any head coaching hire he missed on, and that is such a an important skill for an AD. Yeah. And frankly, to a degree, it's luck. Yeah. I mean, if you make 20 hires, and let's just say it was 20 for Tom, and 19, 19 of them worked out really well, I mean, that's an incredible batting average, if you will, in terms of, of hiring. Um, hiring is an inexact science. And, and you, many times, we analyze hires, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, DAVs themselves, and you think there's great fits, and for whatever reason, things don't work. So certainly AD turnover is a topic that's always front and center for us that the general public or even the general sports fan or sports media, excuse me, sports business um, connoisseur doesn't quite see, but uh, it continues to accelerate. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting to watch. Matt, thanks for joining the uh, world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Thanks, Robert. I guarantee you it's the lowest rated podcast <laughs> of your history. I guarantee it's not. If, if nothing else, just based on that you weren't the first podcast, you're definitely not going to be the, uh, the least downloaded ever. Thanks again to Matt Roberts for joining the podcast. You can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and sportstvratings.com. Thanks for listening.